This is episode number 479 with Laurie Wright, Finding Love Again After Divorce. Hi, everybody. I'm Sandy Weiner, and welcome back to Last First Date Radio, where we believe it is never too late to go on your last first date. And our guest is a perfect example of that. So if you do need support on your journey to lasting love, I wrote a book for you, and it's called Becoming a Woman of Value, How to Thrive in Life and Love. It's filled with 30 chapters of stories and exercises and tips to help you step more fully into your value. And the three, the three uh, sections of the book are show up, stand up, speak up. These are the steps that I've designed to help you really be the best you. And you can find it now on Amazon for Kindle or paperback. This week's tip from the book is step number nine, which is love is your birthright. We often believe that love happens to the lucky ones and not to me, but to everyone else. And again, Lori's perfect example of this, uh, of finding love again after divorce. But, you know, just you have to believe that it's possible for you because otherwise you're going to walk around thinking love is not possible. So my challenge to you this week is, Believe, believe that love is your birthright and start looking for signs of love everywhere in your, in your life. Uh, before I bring Larry on, uh, join our Facebook group. It's called Your Last First Date and it's for women over 40 who are tired of groups that are all about complaining and going nowhere. This is a group that will guide you forward in a positive way. So join us at Your Last First Date. And now for my guest, Larry Wright is known as not your average grandma. She is the founder of the Second Half Spark School and the host of the Not Your Average Lives podcast. Her, bash, her mission, not her mission, is to, <laughs> is to help empty nesters who feel passionless find more purpose so they can spend the time they have left doing what lights them up in a way that no man can do. <laughs> I love that. Welcome to the show. Yes, I'm very excited to be here. And I love the name of your podcast. I think it has such a, a ring to it and it, it makes people think when they hear it. Oh, thank you. Well, so so does not your average grandma. As I was I, showering <laughs> when I was getting ready for this, you know what I realized? Yeah. I realized my last first date was June, 1980. Oh, wow. I have not been on a first date since with a man. <laughs> so I've had lots of, you know, I thought of dates. It's not just dates. You go on a lot of dates with people and oh. just exciting things. It's just, you know, romantic date. That was my last one with my ex-husband. And of course I'll get into uh, what, what, how, how could I have not gone on another first date if I married again? <laughs> right. Exactly. Well, we're having a first date here and I'm enjoying That's it. That's right. So we are. Yeah. You were married for 25 years mm -hmm. and then you got divorced. So at what point in your marriage did you realize that you had to leave? Uh, so gosh, you know, I, I was one of those people that had a really, like a good marriage. You know, we got along. I liked him and he liked me and we were like best buds, but we didn't have a lot of passion uh, in the marriage. And so we were really good partners uh, in raising our kids, I think. We, we had the same values. We had the same uh, opinions about how to raise kids. Uh, and so I think that was the hardest part was um, at some point realizing I want more than this. I deserve more than this. I de deserve to, you know, feel I did my, my ex-husband wasn't very affectionate. 
And I always felt that he didn't truly, he didn't have that soul deep love for me. So, and I had a soul deep love, uh, and I, I knew what that was like. And so, and I also knew that when I married him, I was on the rebound and I, in my, my gut, and I always talk to people about listening to their gut and well, you know what, you know, and, and ultimately, so something below the neck, you know, and I always did the above the neck, you know, what's logical, what makes sense. And so I was at, recently out of a relationship that I was, you know, head over heels with somebody and I wanted to marry him. And this was my, my next first date, <laughs> my, my ex-husband. And so we had a very rapid, fast re uh, relationship that led to within uh, basically eight months, we we're married. So, uh, and so, and I knew I had this little, you know, seedling that was in my head that was, or in my heart, uh, that was just like this, you know, you shouldn't be doing this, you know, you should not, this is, you know, he's, a, he's, he, on paper, it was all the right things. You know, he's just a stable guy, he's, you know, good man, good father. He'll make a good father. And I, I just, he was a little bit older than me, four and a half years older. And so the person that I had just broken up with was just, he didn't want to commit. And he was just very independent college, just got out of college, was you know running around being wild man. And I just wanted somebody, I wanted to settle down. I wanted the things that my, my ex-boyfriend didn't want, but I had this little thing in my gut that was like, you're making a mistake and I ignored it. And I just proceeded. And like, then we had kids early. We just, you know, right away had kids. We just got into the soccer and, you know, growing kids. And, uh, and so it was when they got into college, it's kind of when they left and when it was like him and me, and it was, and we were, we were growing differently. I felt like I was very much into personal development, expansion, like spiritual expansion, like, like learning more about myself. And he was very caught up in, you know, money and, you know, material things and, you know, satisfying himself externally. I was going inward and he was outward. And, and so, yeah, so we just, he ended up working in a different city. And so we only even saw each other on the weekends. We didn't even see, live together during the week. So it was a slow separation of uh, and disconnection that happened probably over a period of like three years. I can relate to so much of your story. I, mm -hmm. um, I, I think that so many can, I think when relationships end, we can usually look back and see, you know what, there was an inkling, but we thought yeah, maybe things will get better, better with time. I mean, I, I certainly, I married on the rebound too and left because of the passionlessness of my marriage, but we didn't even partner well with our kids. So you, at least you had that, which was yeah. good. Yeah, but well, it's passion, funny because he, well, he was a police officer. Hmm. So he worked like opposite shift. And so a lot of times I was solo parenting too. So he had an odd schedule, which I think, in some ways it maybe made it us work because better and longer because we were kind of in tandem and passing in the night. So, uh, yeah. And so I, I basically, uh, realized that, and we, you know, we stopped being sexual 
So there was no intimacy in the relationship. We had been to counseling. We had, I had wanted to get divorced when we were about six years in and he really fought to keep us together. So I agreed to counseling and I said, okay, let's do counseling. I kind of fell back in love with him. You know, just, you can repair, you can get things back. I learned that and it takes work. Uh, and it's not like we didn't try. And then at, after we been married 16 years, he had an emotional affair with some much younger woman at work. Mm. And so when I discovered that, that was a big upheaval in our life. And I fought to keep us back because, you know, ultimately I come from divorce is not a part of my vocabulary. I mean, it's not in my family. It's not, I think you're so resistant to that when it's not a part of your experience. And, uh, so I, I, did not want to, I didn't want the judgment from other people. I didn't want to, my kids to have to go through that and have to be at separate houses. And I just didn't want that for my children. So I fought hard for my children. Uh, and that, so we went back to counseling and we repaired it and got back together. Uh, and we'll got, you know, marriage back intact. It took, took a lot of work. <laughs> so, uh, but we did, it took a lot of work for me because, but I never really resented him for that. Cause I felt like I was a party to that because I was neglectful. I was like, so work. What I did throughout my marriage is I sunk myself into my work and I became very successful in the corporate world. And that was my everything. And I was like on the computer all the time. I would come home, I would open my computer. I would, you know, I, I just dedicated everything to my work and then my, my kids, of course. So when I wasn't working, I was like carting them to practice, you know, being, you know, as much as I'm a, I was a working mom, but they, I was a, very much into their, their stuff and their knew all their friends. And so very active parenting role. And he was like, you know, third or fourth on the list. So of course he's going to seek some, something elsewhere. So I felt, I took a lot of responsibility for that. And I think people need to do that. They need to look inward has like, if your, your spouse did something, what did you do to help contribute to that? It's a two-party system there. Uh, and so, yeah. Uh, and then finally I was just like, it's just him and me. And I didn't see a life that I wanted. And, uh, and, but what I didn't realize, and I learned along the way is that, um, passion is not just another person passion. You need to find the passion within. And, you know, I'm sure you talk about that a lot. I'm sure your book covers that a lot, but, you know, we seek a, an, an exterior, an external source to light us up. And, and so I called my old boyfriend. <laughs> so that's what I did. I did a little Google search. And, uh, one night when I had a little too much to drink at a, at a wedding and yeah, I was, I was actually on a trip and I was in a hotel room and, you know, you have a few glasses of wine and his name had come up recently at a reunion and, uh, somebody asked me about him. Have you heard, you know, what he's doing? And I was like, Oh, and I said, no, he, you know, has he ever been married? Cause he was kind of like the gallivanting, not marrying type. And uh, the person that I was talking to was a friend he had played rugby with. And he said, well, last time I saw him was a year and a half ago and he wasn't married. So I'm like, mm, okay. So, and this is like, we're nearing 50, right? It was, we were in our late forties. So I just couldn't get him out of my head. And so I went to a wedding like three weeks later and I basically Googled him, called him. I was still married. So 
And I don't know that I ever shared that, but I'm very open <laughs> about it. I mean, my ex-husband knows, my kids know, everybody knows. Uh, but I called him, uh, left a message, and then uh, he got the message and called me back. So we went on a lunch. We met for lunch a few days later, and we don't we don't live in the same town. We lived two hours apart, so we each drove halfway, and we went to lunch. And that lunch, within the first ten minutes, I knew that I wanted to see him again. And so that lunch was the real turning point for me and making a decision that changed the rest of my life. So I left that lunch and we actually sat there talking for seven hours. So lunch turned into dinner to turned into like after dinner drinks. And we, we just, you know, caught up on life. We hadn't seen each other for 27 years and we caught up on the life and he was dating somebody. Uh, and, and when he walked me in my car, he wanted to like, Hey, he, he's like, come down and come to the football game next week. And I'm like, I am married. No, I can't, <laughs> cannot do that. I'm sorry. Um, but I knew I wanted to see him again. So I actually told my husband the next time I saw him that I wanted to separate. And so that was when it all changed is when I finally made the decision that no matter what happens, I'm going to, I'm going to see, I'm going to, I'm going to step out into the unknown and, and I got to the point at which I was more scared because it's all a scary situation, right? We're so scared to leave our comfort zone. We're so scared to be judged. We're so scared to, to upset the apple cart of our life. But what we don't realize is, um, it, it changes is, can be magical. And it wasn't that there wasn't pain as a result of the change, but the pain was, was unnecessary. It was unnecessary for everybody to, to have the life that we all have now. We're all so happy. My ex-husband's happy. My kids are happy. They have step parents they love. So we don't see that when we're in the, what do I do? We don't see that it's, it's an unknown. It's, it's something we haven't experienced and we only tend to look at what we, what we think and what we've, but it's based on our past experience and what, what our past experiences is, is like horrible stories about divorce. <laughs> you know, that's where we go. And we never think about like the positive things. We don't ever uh, allow our brains to go there because we just, we just are safer to stay where we are. And so that was kind of the impetus that led me to my whole brand new life. Wow. So you made that decision, not knowing really what the future would hold, no. but knowing that you couldn't stay in, in what you had because this type of feeling was available. Like that's yeah. what I'm taking away because when you live a passionless and separate life, which I can also relate to you, um, I, I don't know if, if it's true for you, but I, I definitely turned off like passion receptors in myself because otherwise you can't survive like you're you're finding other ways like your work your children I had my friends I had my job and but it's not enough at some point and you know there's a part of you that's been put on hold because you haven't been fully fulfilled and so knowing that that kind of feeling is possible there's like a catalyst to yes making that choice right yeah. And I believe that when you're not truly happy and lit up, you're not living authentically mm -hmm. and you're robbing the other person 
of a lit up life too, because how can you be happy being married to somebody who really isn't happy? Yeah. You know, you, it's a ripple effect when you're happy, it ripples to other people. When you're unhappy, it ripples to other people. And so I was depriving him of more happiness. And that's what I saw afterwards. Uh, and so I, I, I think once I realized I was kind of like, even though he was fought it and he didn't want to separate and divorce, it was just him being scared of the unknown, just like me, but he would have rather, have you heard the story about the person sitting on the nail that, or the dog sitting on the nail and, and oh. the person walks by and says, oh, your dog's crying, sir. What he's, oh, he's sitting on a nail and the person, and why, why won't he move? Why won't he get off the nail? And the person says, oh, because getting off the nail is going to hurt more than sitting on the nail. And so that's what he was doing. He was, you know, that that's the fear. You're, it's going to not hurt, right? Is when you get off the nail, but you're at the fear of it. Uh, hurting more. And so that's kind of where he was. He was sitting on the nail and he wasn't getting off. And I made him get off by saying, I'm, I'm done. I can't do this. And the also thing, the thing that uh, is always an option, because there's multiple, we only think of option A and option B, right? Staying or leaving. And so what would happen if like there was another possibility, like there, another possibility would be leading us back to a better union, a better, more passionate marriage. Um, so you keep, you never rule out with the possibilities. Right. And so I just kind of knew I needed to go on that journey. Uh, and it's funny too, because the other, the thing that really cr is crazy is that my, the boyfriend that I called, he and I had a very tumultuous relationship. We like broke up back together, broke up back together, but it was mostly me wanting to control him and him being resistant to that control because I wanted him to settle down and he wanted to gallivant around to go play rugby, go with his rugby friends. He wanted to date other people. Um, he did cheat on me. And so there was so much hurt and so much distrust in that relationship that I broke it off. I finally broke it off. And I said, I can never trust you. I, I, it's not possible. And that's what hurt so much is I basically did it because I knew if I did end up marrying him, we'd probably end in divorce because, you know, it, we fight and we, you know, it, it, there's just like this very, this like constant struggle. And, um, so I convinced myself, you know, oh, and I, I, I thought, you know, my eggs will be dried up by the time he's ever ready to get married. You know, I was not the patient kind of person. Right. And, I, and I'm like, I was kind of like, I'll show him, you know, that's like the, the, the immature woman that I was the immature girl that I was. Uh, and so how I, old you, how old were you? Um, I was 22. I had just turned 22 when I got married. I was like two weeks into, so I, I was 21 when, uh, I started dating my ex-husband. And so wow. very, very young. Uh, so I, and I did not want to have a conversation with him before I got married. Cause I thought if I do, he's going to talk me out of getting married. So isn't that like, like th that's a sign right there that I shouldn't be getting married. Right. <laughs> and I remember when I, we got, when we, uh, got engaged my ex-husband and I woke up the next, next morning. And the first thing that came to mind was, am I doing the right thing? And when my husband now proposed to me, you know, all those years later, when we were 50, uh, you know, I was 49 when I, he, he proposed to me and, uh, I was so excited. I was like, I'm going to call so-and-so I'm going to call so-and-so, so -and -so. I'm gonna call so <laughs> you know, it was like this, such this amazing feeling of happiness mm. and, and, you know, 
that is what I wanted. And um, so going back to like, I think I was talking about, we're not living authentically when we're unhappy, when we're in these unhappy relationships, we're not aligned with a person we're supposed to be because the person we're supposed to be is filled with joy and happy and passionate about the life they're living. Yeah. And so I, at some point realized that I was misaligned as I started to do this journey. Uh, but I will say that the one person who I was always, I always felt this deep level of, I can be whoever I am. I like, he sees through me. We, he looks in my eyes and he can see my soul. I never have felt like that with anybody else. Mm. And that, that lunch date that we went on, that feeling came back within 10 minutes of like, he gets me, he allows me to be, he sees me like, and I can be exactly who I'm supposed to be with him. So it was this stepping, it was like this first moment of truly stepping in to where I was supposed to be, what I was supposed to be doing in, in the world. And, and it took me a few years before I changed careers because ultimately um, it's the work we do that lights us up. I mean, he, he helped light me up, you know, but ultimately love fades as the honeymoon period gets over. I will say also that um, we've been married 12 years and I have never had it so easy. I mean, he, the first year and a half was hard because <laughs> he would have been a bachelor. He was 52 when he got married for the first time. And all of his friends didn't think it would last. All of his friends were like, we're penciling in your wedding. Uh, and so, yeah, that was, that was really funny. And they were like, felt sorry for me. And when I heard this a little bit later that they felt sorry for me when they met me, I said, Hey, don't feel sorry for me. I knew exactly what I was getting myself into because I, you know, I had version one of him. And this is <laughs> Um, but you know, there was such a, uh, and I, I got this very early on from him that he was committed to making it work. You know, we had matured. We, we weren't like fighting. We weren't, uh, trying to be right, you know, right fighters. Uh, and there was this, such this gratitude of having finally come together. And he told me that he thought, that we would have eventually gotten together, but it would have been later, like maybe a decade later. And I thought that was a really interesting uh, perspective that in a way he was kind of waiting for me to come back. Then that's one of the reasons he never got married. Uh, so yeah, it was, it was, um, I, I basically jumped and, and trusted the net would be there because, you know, given our past history, and I remember I used to listen to Gail King on the radio when oh, I yeah. drive to work. I loved her show on XM. And uh, I, I used to listen to her and she'd say, oh, Tiger never changes his stripes. You know, once a cheater, always a cheater. And, you know, I, I would like, and I would think, you know, will I ever be able to trust him if we ever got back together? Because periodically through the years, I had a box of his stuff. And when we'd move to a new house, the box would go with us. And I would look at that box and I was like, I should throw this away. And I was like, no, I can't throw it. But you know, those thoughts would come like, you know, if, 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 what if, oh, I don't think so. I don't think it could ever work, blah, blah, blah. Once we, I made the commitment that I was going to start dating him, that I was going to go through with my divorce. I never went back to the past. I never used anything against him. I never distrusted him. It was all about from here forward. It was like the slate was clean. Uh, and I think that made a huge difference too. And we, we had, you know, we were different people. We had grown and matured. 
And so, yeah. So I guess my, my answer to how to not go on, how to go on your last first date is like, just call up your old boyfriend, see what he's doing. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And, and, you know, we, sometimes I think we have this fear of um, rejection, but holy moly. I mean, my whole life changed and it's, you know, I'm so grateful and thankful for it. It's an amazing story. I mean, I, I actually did call my ex-boyfriend as I was divorcing, he was still married and I had all of these like growth experiences as I was divorcing, as I was at the end of my marriage. And one of them was I, that I felt there was a lot that I had hadn't said in relationships And he was like the love of my life from 16 to 21 or something, or even longer. It was like a seven year period in my life. And, and I, um, I wrote to him and I said, you know, (laughs) you probably shocked to hear from me, but I'm in the process of getting divorced. And I'm just curious to know some things about our relationship. Did you love me? Was I your first? You were mine, you know, and I had all these questions and he was, he was so gracious and, you know, answered all the questions. And he said he, he married late in life. He was probably in his late forties when he first married, he had very young children. And he said um, that he's married for life, even though they fight sometimes, you know, he can picture himself in rocking chairs on the front porch, getting old together. And like three years later, he was divorced and <laughs> So someone had told me, oh, he's divorced. And I thought, oh, this would be fun to like reconnect. So he, he lives on the West Coast and he was coming to the East Coast. And we actually, we had some great phone calls. And then we got together and it was just like, we didn't, we never had, we never had that kind of relationship where I, I didn't trust him. I didn't feel the fact that I had to ask if he ever loved me. If I was his friend, like we were just not communicating, but I was just madly in love with this guy. And so it was just, it was kind of lackluster when he came. It was sweet, but it wasn't that, that reunion that you had. Yeah. But it's, I think, you know, in any case, just to sort of explore, if you do have a, a question and you're curious about an ex, there's nothing wrong with going there and you never know what's going to happen. And I, I love that it worked out for you and that you also left your marriage not knowing what was going to be the future. I, and I also want to point out this clean slate thing, because I think that is such a por- an important point to highlight. There are so many people who will constantly look back at who somebody was, or even if you're in a relationship. You're always pointing out, you used to do this, or you're always like this. And it's the worst thing we can do. We have to give people a chance to repair. You know, you use the word repair before. And I think repair is such an important part of relationships so that we see each other every day as a clean slate and that we can start over and that we can do better. Let's take a quick break to hear from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Amazon Music Unlimited. You can listen to over 70 million songs and thousands of playlists and stations. Plus, you can now stream your favorite podcasts like Last First Date Radio. You can listen to any song, anytime, anywhere, on any of your devices, your smartphone, your tablet, your PC or Mac, Fire TV, and any Alexa-enabled devices like the Amazon Echo. 
Get Amazon Music Unlimited for free for 30 days. Just head on over to getamazonmusic.com forward slash last first date to learn more and claim this offer. Just a little little story, side story, uh, just to show an example of what, uh, you know, it's given to my children. Uh, so he didn't have any children. And uh, so he inherited these two grown daughters uh, and now six grandchildren, uh, oh. which have all been born since we've reconnected. In fact, my, my two girls weren't with their spouses when we first got together, they were single girls. And so they would hang out with us. They would come down to the football games. Uh, cause I live in a college town, go to the football games, but, um, just as an example, Christmas every year, I was the one who organized everything. I was the one who bought, went and bought the presents. You know, I would talk to my ex-husband I'd say, I'm, we're going to get this. Okay. <laughs> you know, what do you think? You know? Yeah. 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 I think he liked it because he didn't have to like make any effort in hindsight. I wished I had said, Hey, why don't you go get something for the girls? But he never took any initiative and I probably mm-hmm. robbed him of that and looking back, but, but he, he still didn't take any initiative. And my, my, my husband is an, an, an he takes initiative, but you know, he was on his own his whole life. And so every Christmas, and it started with our first Christmas together, he got, he, he appears with wrapped presents under the tree for my girls. Mm. And, um, a couple of Christmases, he's like shown them to me. And I'm like, no, they will not like that. You know? And he's all, he always likes to find a deal too. Right. You know, my <laughs> girls are picky, especially about clothes. I tell you every single thing and he never will return the stuff. And he's like, no, I'm just, I'm getting them. You know, he's like stubborn, <laughs> a little stubborn too. And they, the things that he has gotten him, they love and they treasure and it's such be created such a, a cute ritual. Uh, even though they're now like almost 40, you know, they're in their late thirties. <laughs> um, but every year he goes off and he gets, you know, now from our sons-in-law's something just from him. It's not mm. from us. It's nothing that I've influenced in any way. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's, I mean, it's a small example, but, um, you know, they, and, and I will tell you in the beginning, they knew my history with him. Cause I had said to them as teenagers, Oh, you don't ever want to get together with a guy. Like I dated in college. Oh my goodness. You want to find somebody who'll commit to you. Right. So they had the story in their head that he's like this bad guy. And so like, how do you explain to kids that, you know, are of dating age that, you know, your mom's dating this like old asshole. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, but I think they always knew that I, one of my daughters, she's kind of a romantic at heart. And I think she thought it was kind of like cool that he had never gotten married. And he even said, I've never found anybody like you. And, you know, you've always been kind of like the top and, and so, and then my other daughter, who's like more the skeptic is like, oh yeah, mom. Yeah. And you believe that? <laughs> so, so it's kind of funny, the two, di- the dynamic, but, um, they quickly realized that he was very committed and that he, he, he loved me very much. In fact, I remember he said to my one daughter, one time we were, we went on a trip together and, uh, she just ended up coming with us. Uh, it was fun. It was to France and it was a rugby trip. And so she had just broken up with her boyfriend. So we were like, honey, come along. You'll have fun. So she did. And I remember sitting there on the couch one night, uh, after we'd been out and she, and he looked at her and he goes, you know, I really love your mom. <laughs> it was like the sweetest thing. It was so oh. sweet. And, and she goes, okay, okay. Okay. I, I don't need to hear that. It was so funny. So <laughs> I was like, yeah, yeah. But yeah. And so they, they have this whole relationship with somebody that 
that they would have never had a relationship with. And they have, you know, his mother is amazing and she's still alive. So now she treats them like they're her grandchildren. Um, and, and then my ex-husband married somebody and she didn't have kids. So yeah, now she kind of has these kids. So it's like, it's, and then we get along, we've, we've had two weddings together and that can be a nightmare for some people who get remarried. It's been great. In fact, my ex-husband's parents and sister stayed with me in one of the, with one of the weddings. Cause that was one of the other things that are very hard about divorce is that you have a family, you may have a family that you really love. Mm -hmm. And I had a family that I loved. He, I, he had siblings that I absolutely loved his parents. I absolutely loved. And so, you know, it changes the relationship there. Uh, but you know, you, you end up, if you really care and you really, the love is there, uh, it, it's reparable and it comes back together after the initial couple of years. Uh, you know, yeah. and I think, I think a lot of people are waiting for it, you know, like, mm, she's making a mistake. And, and we'll, we'll, we'll give her a couple of years. And then after a couple of years, they realize, oh, it must, it must've been the right thing to do. Right. Know? It's so, okay so, to come so, back. Right. Yeah. It's kind of like, you got to earn the, 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 the kind of the trust back after something like that happens. Yeah. And you bring up a lot of really good points too, about how so many people want to know that the happy ending they want to know that everything's going to be perfect if they get divorced or that their kids are going to be okay or they're afraid to leave. I mean, I have a friend who's in a, a horrible marriage and it's both her and her husband who are at fault, but talk about contempt and, uh, oh my God, like the worst, the worst. And she complains all the time. I actually don't really talk to her anymore because I'm tired of hearing it. And there's some other stuff that came up around COVID that was like, eh. But it's, it's like, why do you stay? I'm afraid. And their kids are all grown. They have grandkids, you know, it's, so it was interesting. My daughter who's married and has three kids and lives in Israel. She, I talked to her the last time I was there, which was just a month or two ago. And she said, I said, what, what was hard for you about the divorce? Like, you know, what, what, what was a challenge? And she said, the divorce wasn't hard. The marriage was. And I thought that was a great answer because staying in a marriage that doesn't work is a terrible example for your children. It is not comfortable for them if it's not comfortable for you. And there are things they see, you know, I had a mediator who said, the children are the doormen of the building. They see and hear everything. And whether you think they do or not, they know what's going on. And so for all those people who are, who are so afraid of the effect on the children, so much of it has to do with who you become after the divorce and how you handle your kids. I spent two years making sure my kids were emotionally stable. I did not date. I was starting a new career like you, just like really finding my passions and my, my purpose and who I had abandoned all those years. And they started to see a very different mom who was a better role model for them. And they're both they're all, I have three kids, they're all grateful now that we're divorced, he's happier, I'm happier. So I think that's a big part of it. Yeah, that's such a great point that you make, Sandy, because uh, I think that is such, people lose sight of that. They are so busy thinking, what will people think by my divorce instead of what will they think by me standing up for what makes me happy? Wouldn't you rather model Instead of somebody saying what I call a, a sad, scared settler, settling for the life they don't want, jumping 
into the unknown to find the life she does want. Like, what do I want for my kids? I don't want them to stay in unhappy marriages and, and, you know, with an empty cup and, you know, not living their dreams. I want them to, you know, but I, you know, I think I gave them a really good example of you you need to work on it. You know, I, uh, one example is I went down my oldest daughter and her husband just celebrated their 10th wedding anniversary. And I called them up about a month beforehand. And I said, cause they have four kids and they don't do anything, but except, you know, be parents. And I said, <laughs> how about if I come down and watch your kids and you guys go away for the weekend? Mm. Because I know that time together is so vital. And yeah. I didn't have enough of that in my first marriage. Not that that would have made it all work out in the end, but so yeah, whatever I can do to encourage them to stay connected with each other. I'm very fortunate because I think both of my kids found their soulmates and are married mm -hmm. to them. Uh, but you, you know, getting caught up in parenting and everything. And it's just, it's, it's a very hard season when you have little kids and you're okay. so drained of your time and your energy and, you know, you know, takes away from the things that you want to do. Yeah. So, and that's, you know, one of the reasons I help uh, people are empty nesters, because even if you haven't, even if you haven't been a stay at home mom, even if you've worked like me, you still being a mom, I always say it's my number one job I've ever had. It's my favorite job I've ever had, but it's a job like many jobs that it's, it's, it's not for life really, at least the, the being needed part, the being active mom part. I mean, I'm I'll always be a mom, but, uh, you know, they, it's not the same way. You know, I think a lot of people as grandparents, they try to replace that with the mom being like very involved in their grandkids' lives. And so, I mean, if that lights you up, great, it's great. But, um, that job as a mom is temporary. And if you really, really loved it, then there's a lot of pain when it ends and you're probably going to be somebody that's a good coach or somebody that is a nurturer in some role. And so finding that and having a new purpose late in life that has the similar, uh, activities that you did as a mom, you know, mentoring, guiding, all that kind of stuff. I never realized it until I was miserable in my corporate job after my kids left. It's like, I was happy in my job pretty much when I was being a mom, because I was doing enough of those activities in my life to light me up. They weren't work paid activities. Uh, and in some of my roles, I did do kind of the coaching mentoring, um, but in some of the, my, my roles in my job, I didn't. So the more I found, more I went into companies and did the non-mentoring role, the less happy I was. And I never tied those together. I never saw the pattern. I never understood it until I started learning about um, what makes you passionate and the work that you do and a lot of the stuff I've read and, and researched. So, Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's very interesting. So I, so yeah, I, I, I always say that I've had like three transformations at midlife started with love. And then I had this major health transformation where I got in the best shape of my life at age 55. And that's when I started dabbling in coaching. And so I did it. I was a beach body coach. I tell people that. Uh, so it was a great way to like be a coach, but not have to go back to school or not have to, you know, it was very like dipping your toes in the water. And I did it on the side and it was really, really fun. And that was like, Ooh, this is really fun. And then it's so funny because every time I would see an ad for like life coaching or I would always be like, Hmm, I wonder like what that is. And, you know, so to always pay attention to those little things that are catching your eye 
that make you think that when you're driving in your car, you might think about, or you stop scrolling and you like, maybe read it. And so what are those things? And are they trying to drop little seedlings that will lead you to the next thing that maybe will be, you'll be passionate about. And so that led me to a career change and finally leaving my corporate job that I, I was miserable at. So you became a life coach. Yeah. Yeah. I got certified and um, yeah. And I created a program and uh, yeah, now I coach people to find purpose and it's just the most remarkable, you know, and a lot of times I think, uh, and this is what I teach people is what it, where has your life led you? What experiences? And we all as women who are at midlife or older, uh, we've, we have wisdom, we have life experiences and we, we diminish that. We dismiss that. We don't think it's a value, but you have walked the path, the journey that you've walked for a reason. And most of us don't find out what we're gifted at when we're five years old. You know, those are, those are special people, you know, but um, we, and we have to walk a path before and, and those gifts arrive once we've had the experiences and so I realized one of my, one of my gifts is like, you know, helping people guide people that, you know, big change is possible and big change is okay. And you'll be fine. And honestly, you're going to be better. You're going to be happier than you've ever been before and inspiring people through just sharing my story. And, and that's what I, one day I realized, oh my gosh, I thought I had nothing of value. Uh-huh. And, and no, I have a whole life story of value and everybody has one. It's their own unique version. And it's, it's not the same. You can have a sibling that had the same life as you, but the experiences are all different. So true. And I think so many people just don't know their value. I mean, even as a dating coach, when I, when I'm writing a profile for a person and I say, what makes you unique? And they really can't name anything like what are your values i don't know i'm not unique i'm not special and it's like no (laughs) you are special you're unique and we all we all do have those stories and and the way that we've shown up in the world and they all connect like i i've been an artist and i was married to a comedian and i was a comedy writer and a director and i did a million different things and it felt a little schizophrenic sometimes (laughs) like i'm major add but I had a lot of passions and interests and they didn't seem connected. And then after I became a coach, I realized they all have a common thread. They're all about creativity. They're all about creating positive change. They're all about helping people be seen, be heard, have a voice. I mean, these were all important things that kept coming up for me. So when you have a good coach like you who can help people uncover their passions and who find out who they really are, because so many people live this little little life. And I see behind you have a thing that says dream big. And so I am all about, by the way, something I never did. I didn't, I didn't know how to dream. And I was so busy working Mm -hmm. that it it wasn't a priority. It was like, I had all my goals for my work job, but I had zero goals for my personal life. And so I dreaming is, is a very important part of what I do now, because, uh, no matter how old we are, we need to have dreams. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. oh my so God. how do you, fi- how do you get help people find what they value? Cause that's a, that's a good, uh, interesting thing that people, uh, 
I was just curious if you do anything. I have an exercise in my program. So I was wondering what you, what you do. Yeah. So one of the things that I I love is value strings and um, I have them mention some of the the common things like creativity, uh, family, what do you value the most? And then we go through like, what is family to you? And so all the words that describe family, all the words that describe creativity, because for one person it's playing saxophone for the other one, it's dancing. And why is that important to you? So even when we come up with must-haves and deal breakers, we have to connect them to who you are as a person and how you live through your values. And I find that, you know, it's in the descriptor words that we really uncover the values. Like what's, yeah. what's your exercise? I'm curious. Well, uh, yeah, it's, it's kind of like long and involved to you, you. I got it in a workshop and it's like 10 questions and you, you write down on a sticky um, like 10 values and you have a list, you know, you can probably Google a, a huge list of values mm-hmm. and you, you find 10 and you write them down on stickies. And then you have to answer these questions, which is like, you know, like you'd always want to give up some, what the question is, uh, you have to give up a value if you ever want to see your kids again, you know, there, there's, there's questions that will prompt you to like, Oh, sure. Here's, here's one of my values. So you give up a sticky with every question and you're left with one sticky. And so that's your most important value. So it's kind of a fun exercise Mm. of like kind of eliminating to getting down to the one thing. But one of the things that I have found is I can tell what my values are by who I like to follow on social media. Mm -hmm. And what I'm finding the common themes are of the people why, you know, there's a lot of people that I'm on their email list, but after a while I'm like, delete, Mm. but there's people that I won't, I'll read every single email. So what is it about them that I like are probably values that are important to me or things, you know, things I like. And so, yeah, that made me think, I was just wondering what you do. And it made me think of that because right now I'm Mel Robbins is like, I'm following her and she just came out with a book and she has, she has the best emails. She's the best emails. I love her emails. (laughs) They're always a mix of vulnerability and humor. Yeah. 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 And humor is a big part of my value base, you know? My dad was like a crack up. And, um, mm. and so I, I am really attracted to people who have senses of humor, who have a yes. fun air about them and they're not, they take life so seriously all the time, you know? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I married a comedian, so oh, <laughs> I'm with awesome. you on that. That's awesome. <laughs> Sometimes comedians aren't so good, like privately, no, they're like very torn and yeah, like, have a, so yeah. that, that was, that was the problem, but I was attracted to the lightness that he was the the his stage act was very playful and fun and his home act was very different so um yeah so but it but it was the attraction that was that was what got me there what got me to leave was the person who he really was was not compatible with me but that's okay um but so I know I mean it's also to look at a relationship and see well what what worked what didn't work and what do you want for next time so um we could talk for 20 hours obviously and I'm looking forward to being on your podcast soon yes yes um so as we close though since we can't talk for 20 hours I'm wondering if you can share your top tip for somebody who wants to go on their last first date well, uh, yeah, call your old boyfriend. That's my <laughs> no. Um, so I would say uh, for somebody who wants to go on their last first date, I, I would say you just need to know who you are 
and what you really want out of life and, and love yourself, just love yourself, just really get in touch with yourself. If you're not healthy on the inside, you will like, even if you get into a relationship, you're not going to probably succeed in the relationship. Um, so if you're seeking external, uh, you're seeking the wrong thing. You need to seek internal. And so I would just suggest to, you know, always be reading, always be growing, always be learning, um, about how you can connect more with, uh, you know, your authentic self. It's really great. So I actually, I can recommend a book that I got in March that I love so much. It is a, an excerpt a day and it's called simple abundance. And actually a lot of my, when I told my students about it and I was reading something every day from it, they were like, oh my gosh, I have it on my bookshelf because it came out in 1995. Um, although I would recommend getting it. She just redid it. And because in 1995, you know, we didn't have like the like what we have technology wise. Yeah. We'd have cell phones like we have now. So she's updated it to be like more current, but it's so great because, you know, it's all about practicing abundance and, and how you do that and embedded throughout the book are little lessons on being authentic. And, and I think that she, and every little excerpt has a quote and she references a lot of other, um, she's, she's an author, uh, by trade. She's a reader. She's, she's a researcher. So the, the amount of information that she has in this book is so amazing. And I have the hardback and it's not that expensive. It's like 14, 15 bucks on Amazon. Um, but it's just one of those treasured books. And every day I've, I've incorporated in my morning practice and I sit and read and there's just like, they're like quotable quotes. I mean, there's Mm. like quotes that you want to like copy and stick on the wall. Um, Ooh, and I'm it's, it, yeah, it's just a really great book. And, you know, the, 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 to me it, it's, you know, um, it all starts with abundance and being happy with the life that you have because yes. you can't attract something unless you're first content with what you have. Um, I did a, a live coaching call with somebody who was in one of my free trainings once. And I remember she, that was her big goal is she wanted to find love. She wanted to find love. And I said, well, are you happy right now where you are? No, I'm not happy. And so we went through a whole exercise of like her finding gratitude and like, look around the room. What, what are you grateful for? Write down all the things you're grateful for. Um, what if you like never found a man? Like, what if like it, think of the worst case scenario, you could get a man and it could be like a disaster. So be grateful for the fact that you have your own schedule. Nobody has to like second guess your schedule. Be grateful for the fact that you have quiet time and you don't have, nobody's like in the next room blaring the TV, you know? So like, look for all the things that you love about being now alone. Um, and then, yeah, you can still desire to have a person, but it's, you, if you're, if you're abundant and thoughtful and happy, contented about your, what, what you have right now, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, you know, thank, and then, you know, you'll receive. Uh, so you're telling the universe that it's like a surrender, right? You're like, it's okay. I, I, I don't need that. I desire it, but I don't need it. Cause when you're needy, you push things away. Right. And so it's, it's just being okay with what you have. And then than receiving more. So that, yeah, that led me to a whole, like, yeah, practice abundance. 
I that's love my it. tip. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, and nobody's ever shared that as a final tip. So I, I love it for that reason too. But <clears throat> the other thing is that the, when we are not practicing abundance, we make poor choices in partnership and you made a choice out of scarcity when you married your first husband and so did I. And so when you have abundance, you're making choices that align with who you are, with your authentic self. So I really love that. Um, yeah. So Laurie, uh, tell us how, like, I know you have, you have a bunch of websites and ways to, to get in touch <laughs> with you. So give us, give us a couple of ways to find yeah, you. So, so my website, it's actually just like a really short page is not your average grandma.com, but you can access my podcast from there. It's mm -hmm. not your average grandma.com slash podcast. Um, and I have an abundance series. I do a weekly, uh, episode. I interview somebody who has a, not your average life, um, once a week. And then I have an abundance episode where I speak to, cause I committed in the spring to living from a state, you know, really tr trying to experience more abundance in my life and living from that state and inspiring mm. people to live in that state. And so that's what kind of led me to buying the book and, and then to just like, just, just share some story every that, how I experienced it every week. And so, yeah, so that I, I'd say just connecting with me on my podcast is the best thing to do. Cause you'll, you'll hear anything that I I'm doing in the future. I have a, the second half spark school and that launches periodically, uh, but it's not launching right now. So till January, I think is the next time we're launching it. So yeah. Great. So check out, check out the website, check out the podcast. It's fantastic. Um, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your great stories and your wisdom with us today. And thanks everybody for listening. If you love our show, please subscribe, rate, review, tell a friend. This is how we continue to grow. Here's to your last first date. If you are ready to get unstuck, gain new tools, become more empowered and finally find your last first date, I'd love to talk to you. Fill out an application to be considered for a complimentary half-hour love breakthrough session at lastfirstdate.com forward slash application. That's lastfirstdate.com forward slash application. I look forward to talking to you soon.